0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Psalms to God podcast. This is your host, Ree and we're talking about prophecy this season. For this episode, which is long overdue, I had planned to discuss the spiritual parallels between Exodus and the final days, along with the parallels between the 10 plagues of Exodus and the signs of the times at the end of time. But with everything happening, it just didn't feel right. Now, don't worry, we're going to come back to this topic, but we need to talk about something else first. On October 7th, a few days after I had started working on the aforementioned episode, Hamas launched an attack on Israeli citizens. And in response, Israel officially declared war on Hamas. In the aftermath of this, countless civilians have been killed, millions of Palestinians in Gaza have been displaced, hospitals in Gaza are running out of supplies, crimes against Palestinians in the West Bank have increased. It's a humanitarian crisis and quite disturbing to watch play out. Now, I want to talk about a little history on modern Israel before we dive deep into this really difficult topic. As far back as World War I, there was the Balfour Declaration, which British expressed their support, or the British expressed their support for establishing a Jewish state in Palestine. It wasn't until World War II that this got any traction with other countries. And after the Holocaust, people began to support zionism in 1948 a group of these western nations formed israel in the land of palestine which was already being lived in by the palestinians at that time there was two separate countries israel and palestine but tension existed between the two from the beginning and this is probably over jerusalem Um, Jerusalem contains holy landmarks for pretty much all of the Abrahamic religions. And in particular, there is the Temple Mount, also known as the Dome of the Rock, also known as uh, a mosque. I can't remember the name of it as I'm speaking. But all of these holy landmarks are not only in Jerusalem, but they're in the same place in Jerusalem. And so, you know, that's... That's kind of complicated and difficult to navigate it. But all of these tensions rose drastically in 1967 when Israel invaded Palestine and there was the Six Days War. And at that time, they essentially took over the entirety of the land. And so Palestinians have been living in Gaza and the West Bank where Israel is basically claiming control too. It's like an occupation type of a situation from my understanding. So I've known this history for quite some time. There are some people who are just learning it, but I've I've known about the history of Israel and how the Palestinians have been treated for, for quite some time. And in my mind, I've always likened it to the history of the United States. Um, The Europeans came and they took over America and they displaced the native tribes. Interestingly, there is a similar similar storyline in that the settlers who came here from Europe were fleeing persecution from the Catholic Church, uh, Even within the United States, a similar thing happened after slavery. There was a push to relocate the descendants of slaves, like myself, to Liberia. That didn't work very well, but that was a thing too. In general, there seems to be a history of persecuted people fleeing to go somewhere else. Generally, we call these people refugees. And there's only a few cases, like the U.S. and Israel, where that actually resulted in a massive coup d'etat where the refugees become the ruling class in the land and start displacing the original people, causing a new set of refugees. Um, But I asked myself as I was thinking about this, where does one go when they are persecuted at home as a black american i then turned around and asked myself when does a land become home like at what point does someone go from being an immigrant to a native you know you have people who were born here but they're first generation americans or second generation americans Is this now their home or are they still do they still have ties to their ancestors home? How far in right does it take for you to become a quote unquote native? And I think the reason I was thinking of these things is because it's wild to hear. If you listen to the news, it's wild to hear people go from talking about being a survivor of the Holocaust or the descendant of a survivor of the Holocaust, to advocating the genocide of a whole group of people. The entire creation of modern Israel is due to the sympathy most people have for the Jewish people because they have experienced anti-Semitism and the Holocaust. So, As a black person descended from people enslaved in the US, I get this hardship of being scattered all over with no real home to go to or to call home and no real, quote unquote, safe space. However, as a black person, I also empathize with the Palestinians who are being treated as second-class citizens in their own home. I would never wish the treatment my ancestors faced on another people ever, which is why it's very strange to see what we see. Now Leviticus 19 verse 34 says, but the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love them as thyself for ye were strangers in the land of egypt i am the lord your god that makes a lot of sense but when you go back and read the origin story of ancient israel it doesn't actually sound much different from the creation of modern israel In Genesis chapter 17, verse 8, God promises Abraham that his descendants will inherit the land of Canaan. Note that Abraham had descendants other than Israel. There was Ishmael and all of his children. Um, He's widely accepted to be the father of the Arabs. Then Abraham had children with his third wife, or his second wife, depending on whether you consider Hagar a wife or not. Um, But Keturah and him had a few kids. And then, of course, there are the descendants of Jacob's brother Esau, which became Edom. According to the Bible, in Genesis chapter 10, verse 13, the Philistines, which is the Arabic or Hebrew word that describes Palestine, Uh, they're actually descended from Mizraim, or Egypt, not Canaan, which is a common misconception. Um, But it's not really that important in the concept of what we're talking about. Basically, when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt to receive the promised land and the promise that was given to Abraham, They're commanded to kill everyone in the land at that time, which did not include the Philistines, though we will see throughout uh, the Old Testament them having skirmishes with the Philistines. The command that I'm talking about is given in Deuteronomy 20 verses 10 through 17, and again in Joshua chapter 6 verse 21. This is basically still a story about immigrants who were being oppressed somewhere, going to a new land, and then displacing the natives of that land. What makes me upset, what was bothering me as I was trying to create my next episode, what would become this episode, is that Most believers right now are not talking about this from this point of view. They're talking about this war from a prophecy standpoint. Is it or is it not a prophetic event? And the underlying message or the underlying subtext is, how does this affect me? How does this affect us who are not over there, who are not experiencing the horror and the terror, those of us who don't have family running for their lives or unable to communicate with us and tell us if they're okay or not. It's literally just boiling it down to an event that is leading to another event. It takes the humanity out of it. But really, this should be an apologetics discussion. This should be a discussion of morality and what's right and what's wrong. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the term apologetics, apologetics is the religious discipline of defending religious doctrines through ses- systematic argumentation in discourse. I took that definition from Wikipedia. Um, but really, I feel like the discussion should be on how does God's instruction to essentially genocide a group of people fit with his character. We should be talking about how we know that God is not calling people to commit genocide in 2023. I think these are two very important discussions that should be being had at this moment over the question of whether this is or is not a prophetic event now if i'm being honest i don't really feel like i am worthy of having that conversation or leading that discussion um i have been trying to write the other episode for a couple of weeks and then i started trying to write this episode and it's been a couple of weeks that i've been trying to get something said recorded written f- understood I, I don't know um i do have thoughts swirling in my head i'm not 100 sure i can articulate them well but because the the thoughts are there they're being placed on my heart and no one else seems to be stepping up to the plate and having this conversation I thought that I should say something. So I ask for your grace and your patience and your prayers. Um, I'm going to share with you the things that I thought as I was studying through this and working through this um, in my own time. And hopefully it is of use to you. And then we will conclude this episode Um, And in the next episode, we'll go back to our discussion on prophecy. So the first thing that I I was thinking about is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. This is one time where God himself actually destroys an entire city because of its wickedness. We know that the penalty of sin is, in fact, death. We're told this in Romans chapter six, verse 23. God often gives us numerous chances to repent. Uh, Jesus himself says that we're supposed to forgive 70 times seven. That's given in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. But if we never repent, the end result will be death. That's just how it is. Now, Let's take a step back, though, before we get to the death and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 18, God tells Abraham his plans, and Abraham is appalled that God would kill the righteous, or the innocent, with the wicked. Abraham starts asking God if he'll spare the city for 50 righteous people. God says yes, and then he goes to 40, and he keeps bargaining all the way down to 10 righteous people, and God agrees that he would spare the city for 10 righteous people. Now, I don't know how big the city was, but even if there were only a 1,000 people in the city, 10 people would only be 1% of the population. So God was basically saying, I will spare the entire city for 1% or less of the population. Because our cities today have like hundreds of thousands or millions of people in them. For God to come and say that he wanted the Israelites to kill all of the Canaanites, I have to believe that there was a tremendous amount of wickedness happening amongst the Canaanites, that there were no righteous people among them. And that is why he made that decree. Now that comes to the next thing that I started to contemplate. And that is on how we perceive innocence and righteousness. As human beings, we don't have a full picture of anybody. There are true crime stories where you see that somebody was like a murderer and their neighbors never knew. Their neighbors thought they were just great stand-up citizens. And the flip side of that is true, too. There, We often encounter people and we think that they are criminals or we think that they are sinners, and they're actually doing more good and are more likely to be in the kingdom than we are. We just don't have the ability to see the future or to see past what we see. Like, we don't know the whole story. Uh, we don't know the past. We don't know the future. We barely understand the present. Back in college, um, I was trying to convince a Marine to donate to the March of Dimes. And I ended up asking the Marine, what if your donation saves the life of a baby who grows up to become a a Marine and that convinced him to donate the money. The reason I share this story with you is because we don't, we don't know who a child is going to become. We don't know who an adult really is. We are missing so many pieces of the puzzle, but imagine that you were able to get like a time machine. And imagine the most hated person on the earth. Like I, I don't know. I would love to use a different person, but I think the person that like, I feel like 90% of the world would agree was a horrible person is Hitler. And I only say 90% because there are some crazy people in the world. But anyway, most people would agree that Hitler grew up to be a horrible person. So if you had a time machine and you went back and you could kill hitler before he became hitler people from our timeline people from our world would think that you had done the world a service you would have stopped the holocaust you probably would have stopped the subsequent occupation of palestine because israel probably would have never become a country uh, if the Holocaust hadn't happened. And so you, we would say that you probably did something good. But for the people who lived in that world in that time, who had no idea who he was going to become, he would have had family and friends and, you know, neighbors who loved him, who would think that you were a monster and would think you deserved the death penalty for murdering their son or murdering their friend. There is a limitation that we as human beings have because we don't know the full story. But God is omniscient. He knows everybody inside and out. And he knows what's going to happen or what would happen if a person lives which is why he has the authority to make the ultimate decisions i personally i i have told god that if i'm too weak to make it through the end times that if i would succumb to take the mark that i want him to just go ahead and take me out beforehand because personally i would rather die young and make it into the kingdom than to live a grand long time and not make it into the kingdom but even as i had those thoughts that leads into danger the danger zone and so the final thing that i want to leave you with is the discussion about the danger of what i just said satan talks to people too y'all every spiritual voice you hear is not the holy spirit the Holy Spirit ain't the only person out here talking to people. Satan talks to people too. And you it's very obvious because anytime there's a conflict, everyone thinks that God is on their side. Everyone thinks that the other side is wrong and wicked. If you listen to people right now, people are either team Israel or team Palestine. And most people are like, You know, one way or the other, they're saying, oh, Israel is wrong. Oh, Palestine is wrong. Most people see themselves as the the protagonist and the other people as the antagonist. And in that, they think that God is on their side and that God is telling them to do whatever it is that they're doing. It's very easy for people to say that they're doing something in the name of God, even if God has nothing to do with it. We see this all the time. And that's why it is dangerous for people to say that God is telling them to kill people or that God is giving them an entire land or anything of that sort. In the Old Testament, there were, in fact, very harsh consequences for disobeying God. Pretty much the punishment for anything was death. If not the death of the person, then the death of an animal. However, when we get to the New Testament, the Messiah takes that punishment for all of us, he brought for us second, third, and fourth chances. Okay, this this existed in the Old Testament, too. If you look for it, you'll see where people were given multiple chances. But really, it was highlighted and established in the New Testament. So when you see the Messiah finding people in sin, he often tells them to repent, to go and sin no more. And he's not stoning people the way they were in the Old Testament this is our example this is what we're supposed to be following nowhere in the new testament are people commanded to kill ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 3 says that there's a time to kill and a time to heal and i believe that the messiah ushered us into a time to heal not to kill, this is the time of spreading the gospel, spreading the message of repentance and convincing people to be holy or to be good or to be righteous, but also to give people that second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, 70 times seventh chance to get it right. And it's only going to be on judgment day when we see the death of the wicked as determined by the Most High. Not me, not you, right? Someone who is omniscient and knows the full story. I do not think that it is okay for anyone to be committing genocide in 2023. And anyone who says that God has told them to kill people, to get this or to do that or whatever, I think they're a bald-faced lie, or they are deceived by Satan. So those are my thoughts. I encourage you to pray and to reflect and to also study this topic. Um, and I encourage or ask that pastors actually start talking about these types of things and what matters, because these are the places where we lose believers, because you see this and. you it doesn't match with what you think is morally correct. Um, and it it becomes a wrestling that you have to do to see where your belief lines up with what's happening and what has happened and what's going to happen. So I hope this was of some help to you. Um, and I will be back hopefully sooner than for this episode with, The next episode where we actually talk about the foundations of prophecy. See you guys soon. Bye.